You want to know, am I walking in the Spirit or am I not? Well, you can let joy be your guide. That sounds fine, you say. But a lot of the time, I don't feel happy. Where am I going wrong? in the spirit love wells up within you and overflows in loving attitudes and selfless actions joy joy in the lord also wells up and overflows in praise when you see that happening you know you're on the right track you can keep going you are walking in the spirit but when joy stops happening you know you must have taken a wrong turn it's time to go back you're on the wrong road. You want to know, am I walking in the Spirit or am I not? Well, you can let joy be your guide. That sounds fine, you say. But a lot of the time, I don't feel happy. Where am I going wrong? If what you say is right, then that means I'm not walking in the Spirit. Where might I have gone wrong? And more important, how do I put it right? Well, that's a good question. I won't pretend I'm going to be able to give you all the answers. I can't do that. I don't know everyone's circumstances. And there are as many individual reasons as there are joyless Christians. But I can give you some pointers that might get you thinking in the right direction. Reasons for joylessness. Before we get stuck into that, let me say that this morning's sermon is for Christians. If you're not saved, you just cannot know the joy we're going to be talking about. I'm not saying you can never be happy. You can. You have your moments. But your happiness can't last. It's going to go someday because the things that make you happy will go sooner or later. The novelty of the new adventure wears off. Possessions rust and rot. People let you down. Relationships end. The happiness that is based on those things doesn't last. This morning is about a kind of happiness or joy that is for now and lasts forever because it is joy in the Lord. This joy never fades because the Lord never changes. It can only get better and better as you get to know him better and better. And you can't have it unless you know him. You need to be saved to be really happy. But anyway, back to the subject in hand. Why is it that I, a Christian, do not always experience this unfading, increasing joy in the Lord welling up within me? First thing to be said is that the problem is with the flesh. That lump of meat you live in, we've talked about it already. You have been born again, you have been given a whole new nature, and that new nature, the new you, delights in the Lord. The Holy Spirit has done that to you. 
But the flesh is fighting against the spirit. It says that in verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another. All the time the flesh is nudging you, tugging at you, pulling you and hauling you. It's whispering to you, it's suggesting, it's arguing, it's screaming at you. Come on, walk this way and I'll show you a good time. And when you give in and follow the desires of the flesh, well then you're not walking anymore in the Spirit and the fruit, starved of the life-giving sap of the Spirit's power, starts to shrivel up and fall off the branches. Love fails and joy fades and gloom descends. But how does it happen? What are the reasons for that? Well, I have nine possibilities for you to consider. Number one, sin. Sometimes the reason for joylessness is that you've just been downright sinful. The flesh has desired to sin and you have given in to it. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know exactly what I mean here. You've experienced it, haven't you? You have sinned and almost immediately a cloud has descended on you. Heaviness, despondency, joylessness, gloom. It's actually a very sensitive marker of sin in your life. That in part was Cain's problem, wasn't it? He sinned. He did his own thing instead of obeying the Lord and he was down in the mouth and God told him what he had to do about it. The Lord said to Cain, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will it not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain, quit your sin and you'll be happy again. But if you keep on the way you're going, sin will have you. You'll be in trouble. Now, if sin is the cause of your joylessness, you will know. Don't assume, as some do, that sin must be the reason if the joy of the Lord is not present in your life at the present time. Remember, we've got eight more possibilities to consider. This is only one. If sin is the cause, you'll know about it. And if it is the cause of your joylessness, you have to come to God in humble repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. But of course, prevention is better than cure. So Christian, remember, you have crucified the flesh. So when the flesh screams out to you, take me down from the cross and I'll show you a good time, tell it to be quiet. Following the desires of the flesh might give you a good time in the short term, but it will rob you of your joy. So, the first reason for joylessness, sin. Number two, sometimes joy gets crowded out. The desires of the flesh, you see, include things like the desire to please, the desire to be well thought of, the desire to be popular, the desire to look good in the eyes of others. And they're tricky ones because you can kid yourself that those are good desires. You know, Christians should always do their best. Hmm. Christians should go the extra mile. You wouldn't want anyone to think you are lazy. 
I want people to think well of me. That would be a good witness. But the result is a life that is so busy that joy gets squeezed out. There is just no time to enjoy the Lord. Yes, the Lord would have us work hard, but too busy to enjoy him? I don't think so. That's not walking in the Spirit. It can't be if there's no joy. That has to be indulging the desires of the flesh, even when the busyness is Christian work. It might be Christian work, but it's not God's work. What has happened is that the desire of the flesh to please by meeting other people's expectations has taken the place of the Lord in your life. So if busyness is your problem, you need to slow down. Take time with God until the joy comes back and take a look at what you've been doing and make some changes. Busyness isn't the only way that joy is crowded out by the flesh. Number three is idolatry. Your flesh craves happiness and satisfaction, and it has all kinds of ideas as to how that happiness and satisfaction might be found. Money, relationships, sex, food, entertainment, rest and comfort. The list is as endless as the devil is inventive. The flesh has us chasing after happiness in all kinds of directions. Now, the tricky thing here is that these things in themselves are not necessarily sinful. And the other tricky thing is that they work for a while. Food is not sinful and food does make you happy. But the joy it gives is a cheap imitation of the real thing. It's not joy in the Lord and it soon fades. Now, some people say that repentance is the thing that is called for here. But you can't repent of food, or money, or relationships, or sex, or entertainment, or rest and comfort, because they're all good things that God has given to us. Some of them are necessities, and there are some of them He has just given them to us for us to enjoy them. Here's where the real problem lies. When we find our pleasure in these things, the joy they give becomes more important to us than the joy God gives. When that happens, they have taken God's place, and that's idolatry. Now, you don't mean it to happen, but it happens because when you start to enjoy God's good gifts, the flesh, with its desires, takes over and urges you to crave the gifts more than you crave the giver. Then when you're finding your pleasure in God's gifts and not in God himself, the whole thing goes stale and you become bored and unhappy. That's a very tricky one. What's the answer? I have two suggestions here. First is to keep reminding yourself that these things are gifts from God. In other words, be thankful and magnify the Lord for them. Remember always to be thankful to him for the good things that you enjoy. And the second one is to try yourself out from time to time. Can you let those pleasures go for Jesus? Is Jesus more important to you than the good things that he has given to you? Try fasting. 
Try abstinence. Try giving some things away. If the joy goes when the stuff goes, then you're not walking in the Spirit. But before we leave it, I do want to emphasize that the answer is not to avoid those things that might be giving you pleasure. The answer is not plain food and hair shirts and nothing that looks like entertainment and living in a cave in the desert. That's legalism. And it's an insult to God as well. Would you throw God's good gifts back at him? And anyway, it's a problem you can't run away from. The problem will follow you to that cave in the desert, because even there you'll find some tokens of God's goodness that you can take pleasure in, and the flesh will urge you to misuse them. You're just going to have to learn to walk in the Spirit, even if it does mean walking a thin line. That's idolatry. That was number three. Number four is habits. Habits of the flesh. A habit's something you practice until it becomes easy, until it becomes second nature to you. And you don't have to make it happen then. It just happens in certain situations if you don't stop it. And attitudes and ways of thinking can become habits as well. Situations arise and you go down a line of thought before you know what's happening. Well, habits go with the flesh. They're ground into your brain, and when you're saved, they don't just go away. They hang around. Now, some of them are good habits, so it's a good thing that they hang around. But some of them are sinful habits of the flesh that wage war against the Spirit. And some of them are especially prone to deprive you of joy when you give in to them. I'm thinking here of things like worry, anxious thoughts, what people think? What if? What if the sky should fall? What if the job ends? What if I get sick? What am I going to do? Or depressive thoughts. Oh, what's the point? Why should I bother? Who cares? What's the point of doing anything at all? It's never going to get any better. Or complaining thoughts. Complaining can become a habit as well. That kind of stuff. Habits of the flesh. And when you give in to those thoughts, the gloom settles and joy gets squeezed out. Now, the best way to deal with a habit is to replace it with another one. And the thing about all of these anxious, gloomy thoughts is that they all leave God out of the picture. God says, let not your heart be troubled. Trust me. I will never leave you. I'm working for your good in every circumstance. God says there is hope. There is always hope because I am with you and I am bringing you to glory. God says you have a purpose. I have kept you in this world for a reason. I could go on, but I think you've got the point. And what you need to do here when these habits are the thing that is pulling you down, what you need to do is preach to yourself. Preach to yourself God's word. Preach the promises of God. Keep preaching it until it becomes your habit to think God-centered thoughts. That's what the psalmist does in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Oh, it seems hopeless. There's no way forward. It's never going to get better. No, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Encourage the leading of the Spirit by preaching to yourself from the Word of God and keep doing it until new habits are formed, new ways of thinking. Habits of the flesh, then, as a cause of joylessness. Number five, 
Sometimes the problem is just the weakness of the flesh. The flesh gets tired. And when it does, the battle to hold on to those God-centered, joy-giving thoughts becomes so much harder. Now, you know what I mean again. You have experienced it. You've come to to the end of a, a busy day. You've maybe missed a night's sleep or two nights' sleep. And everything just seems impossible. And those gloomy thoughts start to settle in. And joy is 100 miles away. When tiredness is the problem, really what you need is rest. And I suppose the example we think of from the Bible there is the example of Elijah, who after having fought a a good battle with Jezebel, lost his nerve, took to his heels and ran for 40 days and 40 nights and was totally exhausted and gloomy. There wasn't much of the joy of the Lord about him. And the first thing that God did before he began to speak to Elijah was to tell him to rest. And sometimes that's just what you need in order to get that sense of the joy in the Lord back again. But rest, it's not always as easy as it sounds, is it? There are too many pressing demands. And sometimes, for a period of time, we have to endure tiredness and battle to hold on to our joy in the Lord, and we depend on the grace of God to do that. But there are people who plod on week after week, month after month, year after year, weary and gloomy because they won't sort out their priorities and live within the capabilities God has given them. Oh, it's easy to make excuses. It has to be done. People are depending on me. Make all the excuses you like, but the bottom line is this. If joy is gone, you're not walking in the Spirit. That was reason number five, possible reason number five for joylessness, the weakness of the flesh. Number six overlaps with it a bit, so I'll not spend long on it. And that is to say that the flesh gets sick as well. Some illnesses in particular are more prone to make you feel gloomy than others, but any debilitating, weakening illness can have that effect. And when you're ill, that battle to hold on to your joy in the Lord gets harder and extra grace is called for for as long as the illness lasts. But when you're sick, make allowances for it. Take extra rest. Avoid certain pressures. Give your body time to recover. And accept and live within the restrictions your illness imposes on you. I think that's another reason why people struggle to remain joyful during times of illness. They're so busy beating themselves up because they're not able to do this and they're not able to do that and they're not able to do the other thing. God has allowed this illness to come into your life. He could have stopped it. If he needed you to be doing those things, he wouldn't have allowed you to get the illness. Accept the limitations it imposes on you. Stop fighting it. See that illness as a gift from the Lord. I'll leave you to work that one out. There's something else you can do. You can look after your body. That too is part of walking in the Spirit. Proper rest, proper exercise, proper diet, proper medicine when you need it. It's not unimportant. The flesh, your lump of meat, it's a problem sometimes, but you need it to live in it. And if you neglect it, it becomes more of a problem. Number seven is a bit more tricky to explain. It seems there's a part of your lump of meat 
your flesh that controls your ability to experience happiness. And sometimes that part of you goes wrong. It's what we call clinical depression, and it's more common than you might think. It's very common, actually. Now, it's not that God has changed. It's not that God has abandoned you. But when this happens to you, you feel like it. It's like a man who loses his sight. It's not that the light has gone out. The light is still there. But because of the weakness of his flesh, he can't see the light anymore. When this happens to you, you lose the ability to experience happiness. Darkness descends. People say sometimes it's like living under a cloud or having a weight pressing down on you. And the temptation to think despondent thoughts takes off big time. There are treatments that are available, medical treatments, and it's not wrong to make use of them. And don't be afraid of them. It's not that they give you false happiness. They just restore your ability to experience joy once more. But while that problem lasts, the battle for joy is especially fierce. Extra faith and perseverance. Extra dependence on God's word. Lots of support from people around you. Lots of patient encouragement. Lots of reassurance is all called for at a time like that. That's number seven. We call it clinical depression. Then number eight, and this is to say that sometimes we come through what you might call seasons of oppression. Seasons of oppression. Sometimes the devil just goes out of his way to put the boot in. That's what we're talking about here. He stirs up the flesh. He bombards it with temptation. He sends a constant stream of demands from other people that are well nigh impossible to meet. He provokes the flesh to find happiness in God's gifts rather than in God. He awakens anxieties. He provokes depressive habits. He plays on physical weakness. He sends illness. Sometimes he does them all together. Dark, dark days. Days when faith is tested to its limits. Days when living by faith is what is called for. If that's you, let me encourage you, hold tight. He'll not allow you to be tested beyond what you can endure. Keep clinging to God's word. Keep reminding yourself of it. Preach it to yourself. Preach it. Preach it. Find brothers and sisters who will encourage you. Don't try to go it alone, even though that's maybe what your feelings of despondency are telling you to do. Keep walking in the spirit. Keep stirring up the joy within Shout, dance, praise the Lord, sing, stir up that joy. Seasons of oppression. Number nine, the last one, last possible reason for joylessness. There are some people who don't experience joy because they have just learned not to be joyful. They have been taught or they have taught themselves not to be joyful. For whatever reason, maybe it's because they are embarrassed about expressing emotion. Maybe it's because they are, for some reason, afraid to express emotion. Maybe they have been taught that emotion is bad and dangerous and will lead to excess. Maybe they have been taught the stiff upper lip philosophy and been brought up according to that. 
Or maybe even it is that they are people who have such strong emotions locked inside them that they're afraid to let them loose. That can sometimes happen. A lot of maybes. But for whatever reason, they have learned not to be joyful. They appear to live on a level of cold logic and reason alone. And their faith and their worship are cold intellectual exercises. For some, it's not total joylessness. It can happen in degrees. But this too is living by the flesh. It's not walking in the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, as I said, I want to emphasize it again. People experience joy in different ways. The way you experience joy may not be the same as the way I do. People certainly express their joy in different ways. Some people are more demonstrative than others. And that's okay. That's fine. But no joy at all is not okay. And joy without any expression of it is not okay either. Joy in the Lord is good. God is most glorified in us when we are most happy in him. Joy in the Lord is something to be encouraged. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, Rejoice. And sometimes joy in the Lord has to be stirred up. It's one of the things we do when we worship together, isn't it? We provoke and help one another to rejoice in the Lord. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the word of God, the the book of the law, was read aloud to the people. You remember the, the story. And when they heard God's word being read, They realized their sin and they began to grieve deeply and to weep. What comes next, I always find it surprising, is from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, The day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for the day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, the human heart craves joy. It's the way we are made. There is not one of us who does not want to be happy. God made us that way. And God made us that way so that we might reach out and find that craving satisfied in him. But when that craving is not satisfied in him, then our hearts start to look in other places. And we fall into temptation, idolatry, and sin. But when that craving is satisfied in him and we are joyful and delighted in God, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It keeps us close. It keeps us faithful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So, nine possible reasons for joylessness. There may well be others. Those are the ones I could think of. 
Do take care how you use them. If you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord just now, could well be that one or more of those reasons applies to you, but think carefully and don't jump to conclusions. In particular, and I said this when we mentioned the first one, sin, people immediately think, oh, I must have sinned, and they go on a hunt for some sin in in their life, but I hope you can see there are other possibilities to be thought about. Think about them carefully, prayerfully, and honestly, and don't be afraid to ask someone for help if you need it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Oh, so many reasons to be joyful in you. So many ways in which you have blessed us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace, and we rejoice and we give glory to you for it. We do take time now, Father, to pray for any who may be coming through times of despondency or gloominess or just the absence of joyfulness. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to see why it is And help them by your grace to do those things that will be helpful to bring them through that time. And may you soon, Lord, restore to them the joy of their salvation.